Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. Today, we've got a bit of a different spin on Don't Box Me In, but that's what it's all about uh, around here, a show that doesn't like to be boxed in. My guest today is an actor uh, that you've seen in numerous commercials and made appearances in such works as Roll Dogs O, The Dangerous Lives of Altar Boys, and sit down and chat with me and I so appreciate him making the time for me today. So let me just go ahead and jump right in and welcome Mr. Kelvin O'Brien to the show today. Kelvin, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you. Glad to have you and spend time with you today. Now, um, Kelvin, I want you to indulge me for a moment because in the beginning I usually like to uh, start off uh, letting my audience get to know my guests a little bit better. So I want to go back to your beginning a little bit here. You were born in uh, South Carolina, correct? I was. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and then grew up in a small town called Irmo, right outside Columbia. Um, Irmo. Okay, yeah. that sounds real small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 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 it is. It is. <laughs> okay, and I'm not going to you know, take any offense to you because I'm North Carolina born, so we're going to have a pleasant conversation in spite of the fact that you are from South Carolina, okay? We're southern bread. We can share that in common. Okay, okay, okay. Carolina folks. Yeah. Um, you have brothers and sisters or just you? Uh, one younger brother. Two okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, um, especially in my experience, I know that people tend to have a very romantic kind of preconception about the South, sweet tea and southern hospitality. Um, what are your re- recollections of growing up in the South? Oh, uh, wow. Um, I, lo- I loved uh, my childhood. It was it was fantastic, but what I do really remember, especially now that I'm getting older and I can really reflect on it, is, uh, you know, as much as we want to believe that, you know, racism and all that stuff is, is gone, um, very early on I learned that that wasn't necessarily true uh, in the South as a, as a black male. So, um, But uh, I, I put a positive spin on it, and it did give me the strength to uh, grow into the man that I am today. Okay, okay. So you come from... Um a family that really stressed education, is that correct? Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Both of my parents are college educated. My grandmother's got a Ph.D. My great-grandmother was a teacher. Um, the education goes way back to even when it was almost illegal for uh, <laughs> African-Americans to be educated, and that was something that I was always stressed in, in our household. Got to get, got to go to school, and I, I do find that uh, even from my family, you know, education is is the means to getting out of your circumstances. So it is general generalization, excuse me, generations passed on. So uh, I, tip, I, I truly understand that uh, that is important. Do you feel that that constant, constant, you know, educate further, better yourself? Um, what kind of influence did it have on you? Well, it it was a huge. It made me realize what was really important. Um, You know, if I, you know, my brother was much better at school than me. He got his, you know, he graduated from Yale and all stuff, and he was an honor all the time. I was much more of a knucklehead. (laughs) But if I if I didn't get uh, if my grades weren't up to snuff, then I couldn't go outside and play, or I couldn't, um, you know, hang out with my friends. I couldn't do the things that I felt like I wanted to do because education was more important than anything else. So I think that that just set the tone for uh, how I viewed what was important in my life. 
Okay, okay. And besides the pressure for the school, what kind of extracurricular things did you do as a kid? Were you the uh, the chess geek or the class president or what, 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 what were you? No, 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 no chess geek. I was good at chess. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a uh, chess geek. I uh, honestly, I you know, I was pretty involved in student government in middle school and high school. Um, but basketball is my thing. I, I loved it. I, I, I learned a lot of my life lessons through playing the game. And so uh, the the bulk of my high school career was trying to become the best ball player I, I could. And I, I noticed you emphasized the word trying. Uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, it was, it was a struggle at times. I was a bit of a bit of an undersized guard, so uh, you know, oh, okay. harder than most. Uh, but yeah, I got I got pretty good though. Okay, okay, basketball—that's another uh, sport that's really strongly emphasized in the South. So uh, we are truly basketball fans in the in the South. Yeah. Uh, you, um, I was on your website, and I want to talk some more uh, about that. It's it's a beautiful thing, but one particular part of your website. One of your blog entries, you talk about the friends that you grew up with in South Carolina, and you spent quite a few, uh, a bit of time talking about these gentlemen. Um, how do you think that you've maintained, because you guys have all grown up, and I, I'm assuming that people have branched off and moved here and there. What do you, how do you feel, or what do you attribute to the fact that you guys have maintained such a strong bond over these years? That's a good question, because actually when I wrote that, I was really, I was questioning, I was like, wow, this is a really amazing thing for these amount of guys to be such good friends for such a long time. And I really just think it goes back to we, when we all met each other, we were still forming who we were as people. And we all um, impacted each other's development in a, such a powerful way. And as we're growing, the trust was always there. And it just, you know, built upon itself. And now it's to a point where we're, you know, we're unbreakable. And mm-hmm. these guys know me better than, you know, really anybody because we've been through, we've been through some stuff and they've always been in my corner. And I hope, you know, I guess I do. I know they feel the same way about me. Say, <laughs> so, I'm giving you this plug on radio. You guys better feel the same about me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how many of you guys are there all together in this little clique? Seven. Seven, seven of including, you. Including okay. me. Yeah. And how many are still back in Irma, South Carolina? Uh, we got three. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, everybody has pretty much moved on and out of the uh, small confines of Irma, I should say. Yeah, I always say confines, but yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, well, we will talk about this later, but once you go from uh, Irma to Los Angeles, you know, your eyes are kind of like saucers and like, whoa, wow, okay. So, you know, um, and and like I said, you're not from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and you just realize that there is such a very large and vast world out there besides that comfort zone of, you know, my aunties and, you know, going to uh, Sunday dinners over here with the cousins and stuff like that. So, you know, it does get a little bit, it broadens your mind when you step exactly. out of some of our comfort zones. So, exactly. uh, and, and when I say confines, I think sometimes, you know, that can be very confining if you get comfortable, comfortable in your And I think that that going back to what we talked about, you know, family, I think that, you know, for me being able to, you know, move away uh, so far away, you know, really as far away as probably possible uh, (laughs) within the United States, um, I wouldn't be able to do that without my parents and even my younger brother giving me the courage and the confidence in myself to say, you know, I I can. It's going to be difficult, but I can do this. And they're always going to be there for me. So knowing that that they're going to be there, um, I I, I never really worry. Okay. Um, Cool, cool. Well, let's talk about your first move away from home. You uh, ended up graduating from high school, and you went to college where? 
I actually stayed home for, for college. So I, I grew up in Irma, which is 15 minutes outside of Columbia, and so I graduated from the University of South Carolina. Okay, okay, so you didn't have to go too far. And when yeah. you um, enrolled in college as a freshman, what was your major? Physical education. Physical education? Yeah, my, uh, my, buddy, my buddy Kevin, who's, uh, who I wrote about in, in the blog post, we were high school teammates. And our senior year, we were just like, yo, we want to we coach. And I also wanted to teach elementary school gym. For some okay. reason, I was a teacher cadet in high school, and I, I, I shadowed uh, one of the elementary schools, and I just loved it. Like, I loved being around the kids and having them active and stuff like that. So uh, when I went into school, that's really what I wanted to be, and we were, gonna, we were planning on building a, a high school dynasty because I was going <laughs> to assistant coach in his you know, high school team, and uh, we were going to build a dynasty in South Carolina. Okay, so you guys had it all worked out. So freshman year, we're going to college, and we're going to be coaches, but something happened along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, we got that. That plan got derailed. That plan got derailed uh, pretty quickly. How, how, okay, how quickly did it get derailed there? It took, it took. Uh, I think my sophomore year, and I was like, you know what? No, nah, this, this isn't, this isn't gonna work. But, uh, but all jokes aside, what happened was I, I just realized um, acting was something that always came relatively easy to me. And okay. growing up in in South Carolina, I had some opportunities that a lot of people don't have. You know, I worked on some films and I did some local television stuff. But I never really thought of it as a way to uh, earn, a, make a living. Um, mm-hmm. But once I got to college, the, the opportunities just kept coming. And I, and I you know, said this before, I just felt like I was fighting against something that I didn't need to be fighting against. And so I just you know, talked to my parents and I said, you know, I think I want to change my major to, to theater. And I did that. And then, you know, the rest is, as they say, history. Gotcha, gotcha. So you were actually doing some acting even before college. So when did you, uh, would you say you officially started acting? My first, uh, I, I booked my first job when I was in seventh grade. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Jamie Hill, who's also an actor out here, her mom uh, worked in the business, and um, she had seen me in one of our classes. We had a math class together, and she called my mom one early, early one morning and said, you know, I'm taking, you know, Jamie to this audition. Do you mind if I bring Kevin along? Because I think he'd do really well. And my mom was like, okay, sure, whatever. So I went, booked that, and then I booked like four, five, six more jobs in a row, um, and so that's when my mom knew that I had a gift for it. And then they brought the movie O. Um, they shot that in Charleston, and they had a role that they needed to cast pretty quickly. And somehow my name got in the mix, and I went down there and read for the director, Tim Blake Nelson, and, and booked that. And then the next thing you know, I'm on a, the set of a, a multimillion-dollar uh, movie. Wow. Wow. So all this starts off at seventh grade. And, you know, we're seventh graders. We're not really emotionally intact. So, I mean, I guess you did kind of – you would have to go back to school with your chest all puffed out. Yeah, you know, on the weekend you guys were up here doing homework, but, you know, I was on a movie set. Did you have any, you know, kind of getting adjusted to the whole being in school and being in the acting profession while you were doing this? You know, it really was a difficult thing, and I actually didn't really realize it because I think I shot O when I – actually, I shot O when I was a freshman in high school. Um, but throughout the course of that time between 7th and ninth grade, like I said, I was on local TV a pretty good bit, and, you know, I was booking. I wasn't – you know, I didn't feel the rejection that a lot of actors feel early on. Um, so I really, I mean, I, I really did feel myself a little too much. And I actually wrote about that also on my blog. I was, feel, I was feeling myself. Got a, little, got a little cocky with myself, huh? Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm on top of the world. I'm in, I just booked this movie. I'm working with Makai Pfeiffer. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with Martin Sheen. Come, you can't tell me nothing. But uh-huh. then I had a moment. I had a moment in uh, drama class in, in 10th grade where a friend of mine, yearbooks had come out, and I wrote in her, in her um, yearbook, you know, something, 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 Jesse, don't forget to go watch me in my movie. 
and she read it, and she looked at me, and she was really hurt. Like, well, why would you, why would you put this in my yearbook? That was a really arrogant thing for you to do. And hearing the word arrogant, for some reason, it cut me like a knife. Uh-huh. And I, you know, that forced me to step back and look in the mirror, and I was like, you know what? I, this, is not, this is not me. And mm-hmm. so that changed my perspective on, on that. And I've been struggling back and forth with the, you know, the ego side of it, but then also not being afraid of sharing who I actually am. So that's, I actually wrote about that also in my, in my blog if you really wanted to. Look, yeah, I yeah. think uh, I think I, I read that it's and I think it's something that we all as human beings struggle with to find the balance between being comfortable and confident with who we are and it not being displayed as being arrogant with who we are. And I think that's what you were talking about in your blog, if I remember correctly. Yeah. OK, yep. Yep. cool stuff. Well, we will take a quick commercial break and we will be right back with more Kelvin O'Brien right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm spending part of my day with Mr. Kelvin O'Brien. You've seen him in the likes of The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys and The Midnight Meat Train. And before the break, we were talking about his growing up in South Carolina, and uh, we were kind of right at the point where he's gone off to college here. And once again, give me the you went to Univers- um, University of South Carolina, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So you finish up with college and you're majored in theater. So you walk across the stage, cap and gown and everything, and your plan is what after that? Hop on a plane and get to get to Los Angeles as soon as possible. <laughs> okay. So you had already had that kind of in the works as we were preparing for graduation that you were moving to L.A.? Yeah. Our, uh, my junior year, I I got cast in this in a production of The Trojan Women um, at, the, at the University of South Carolina, and... I got cast. I had no lines. Um, I actually had to wear a pot on my head in the play as, a, you know, <laughs> something. But the guest director who directed it, Bonnie Monty, was the artistic director at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. And she really, she remembered my audition and she, you know, loved the way I prepared and stuff like that throughout the course, you know, not having any lines, but, you know, just understanding that I was still there to serve the story. And she took me to lunch and said, you know, I've got this program at my, at my theater. I would love for you to come up and experience this. Um, and she offered me a scholarship, so it was all paid for. So I went up there and ended up, you know, she invited me to be in one of the main stage shows, the uh, Love Labor's Lost. Again, no lines, just basically a moving set piece. Um, okay. But I made some fans, and then I ended up actually getting cast in another main stage show, Richard II, where I actually had a pretty good role and ended up getting a mention in the New York Times and, and uh, for my performance. And I was talking to the lead of that show, who's an actor who, David Conrad, who, you know, he works out here a pretty good bit. He just recently uh, finished working on The Ghost Whisperer, and he's been in, you know, a bunch of stuff. And he basically said, Kelvin, you would be really successful in Los Angeles. I think you should move. And I talked to my parents about it, and it was almost like they, it's almost like they knew. And it was almost like mm. they were going to tell, like tell me to do that anyway. And I okay. said, you know, I want to come back. I want to finish up my, my degree, and then, we, and then we out. So after I graduated, I packed two bags. Me and my dad hopped on a plane, stayed in a hotel for a week. Found an apartment. He left. My mom came to help me, you know, do the mother uh, thing and make sure I had uh-huh. all my bed, stuff like that. And then she left, uh-huh. and, and that was it. 
Wow, it's always good to have family support, you know, and I know, speaking as a mother, you know, although you're supportive, that is very heart-wrenching, like, oh, you know, he's 2,000-something miles away, and I can't get to him, so, you know, just a quick moment, kudos to mom for being able to separate the emotional, you know, umbilical cord and say, you know, it's best for me to let him do his thing, this is what he was meant to do, so, I mean, just wonderful, and I also want to say that, uh, this is a message that I try to get across to a lot of people is when you start doing what you're supposed to be doing, what your blessing is, what your calling is, it's amazing. Like what happened to you? Stuff just starts to fall into place. It's just like, you know, it's not a struggle. It's just opportunities just start to appear. And, uh, you know, like I said, you got this opportunity and that opportunity. And next thing you know, you're in L.A. doing what you're supposed to do. And I, that's just amazing. Amazing. Good and, uh, stuff there. It's so right. That's your right. Because even looking back now, um, I'm nowhere near a wannabe. But looking back, like how you, your steps are ordered. You know, yes. Everything really does happen for a reason. And uh, my uncle, when I was out here by myself and I was having a tough time, I talked to my uncle AP, and he he said just as simply, "Listen to your heart. You know, mm-hmm. it's really never gonna lead you astray. When it all comes down to it, you know, pray and, and put it out there and work hard, and it'll it'll work out the way it's supposed to. And you have to believe it." Okay. So how how long have you been in LA now? Oh, uh, eight eight years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now let's 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 reflect for a little minute. What what do you think was your biggest adjustment from moving from the South to Los Angeles that you had to get used to? Uh, well, it's like you said. I mean, we have small town South Carolina, so really everything. I mean, it really was. I had never lived because again, I stayed home for for college, or I didn't stay at home. I stayed close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, but so getting out here and just being in a big city. You know, uh, <laughs> I also didn't have a car. Like I said, I just packed two bags and came. So LA's not the most uh, friendly as far as public transportation so having to be on the bus and and seeing a lot of the things and and i haven't really i wasn't really exposed to you know a lot of homelessness really mm-hmm. um, being exposed to that and you know my first week here i didn't know anybody so i went down and tried to play ball at venice beach and seeing what goes on down there i was like uh-huh. wow this is, this is crazy <laughs> it really was just getting adjusted to being outside of my comfort zone and what i've always known by myself by yourself um who was the first friend you, you made when you moved to Los Angeles? Friend, friend. My buddy Terrell. I'd okay. known Terrell. Yeah, I'd, I'd known Terrell. I met him on the set of a movie, and he was out here before me. Um, so he, he did help. He helped ease the transition a little bit because I knew that, you know, he, he could come over and we could, you know, watch some games or whatever and hang out. And also my, a friend of mine, Nathan, who he directed me in a, an industrial film in Georgia, when I was younger, and he was out here. So he actually helped me more than anything. Um, you know, he would give me little odd jobs if I needed some extra money, or he would pick me up and take me to eat and, and stuff. So he, he actually helped also. Okay, cool, cool. So you came out here with some work on the table when you moved out here. Um, was work consistent after that, or has it Not been? at all. Not at all. <laughs> like, no, no, <laughs> yeah, no, not even, not even a little bit. It actually took me... Um, and again, like I said, I was feeling myself as far as, you know, my ability as, as an artist, you know, coming back from when I was a child and booking all that stuff. And then coming off of, you know, the dimension of New York Times and all these people telling me how great I am, I got here fully expecting to walk into agencies and, and them jumping and, you know, chomping at the bit to mm-hmm. sign me. And it didn't work out that way. You know, it took about a year and a half for me to find my legs. And, you know, I met my commercial agent, um, actually a crazy story, again, through a woman who was in the show. I went mm-hmm. to a barbecue with her. She had a friend there. We ended up talking, and he was like, you know, I really like your, your attitude. I would love to take you to lunch and just talk. So we went to lunch, and he was like, look, I'm going to my commercial agency tomorrow. Um, I can take your headshot. Um, it, it really, I can't guarantee anything, but luckily, you know, they called me in for a meeting. The meeting was, they scheduled the meeting seven months later. 
Um, <laughs> but I went into the meeting, and you know, me and my still, she's still my commercial agent to this day, Janine, Janine Lee. Um, we clicked, and she saw something in me, and she signed me, and you know, I, you know, booked a couple commercials and made a little bit of money, and then that that got the ball rolling as far as my jumping really into my career in Los Angeles. Okay, okay. Now. Thinking back on everything that you've went through in these past eight years with your transition to Los Angeles to, you know, get further in your craft, um, if you had to give a, a pointer or a tip to somebody thinking about pursuing an acting career and coming to L.A., what advice would you give them at this point, now knowing what you know now? Uh, first and foremost, take the craft seriously. Um, don't, you know, don't don't look at it as, as a way to make a quick buck um, because ultimately – it's a roller coaster ride, regardless of how successful you will be and how much money you make. There's always going to be peaks and valleys. But I think what keeps me sane is the work. You know, it always comes back to, you know, trying to tell as honest stories as possible and taking advantage of every opportunity I can to tell stories. Um, you know, staying in class and keeping that muscle strong. Um, and then also um, understanding that it, is, it isn't going to be easy. And you're going to have to maybe take some jobs and do some things that you're not going to want to do in order to support your you know, your career until you're able to sustain or maybe put a nest egg away and, and, and live off of that. But, yeah, that's, that's the ultimate thing for me. Just make sure it's about the work. Cool. Because, you know, so many times, you know, I've, I've witnessed and heard, you know, new people coming to town and, you know, I'm going to get this acting thing off. And, you know, next year I meet the same person. They're so disillusioned. They may be working some sort of, you know, minor job at, at nine to five and, and you know their their dream is kind of fading because they just thought that everything was just going to take off running as soon as they got here and you know um la is a very competitive city and you just kind of want to you know let people know coming into it you know be realistic about what's going to happen when you get here so um i always try to tell people you know they've been through it you know to say you know give them some advice say look you know have something to back you up while the career takes place. So, Yeah, and also I think that goes back to our earlier conversation about education and, and how mm-hmm. important that is because without, you know, there was a time when I, was, uh, when I was a sophomore in college where I was like, you know, right before I changed my major, I was like, man, bump this. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go to L.A. and, you know, do what I do. This is clearly mm-hmm. good. I'm good at this, so I'm going to do this. My mom's like, no, you need to just get your piece of paper. You, mm-hmm. you, got, you got two more years, get that done. And without that, I really would not be able to, would not have been able to handle living in Los Angeles because, one, the education, so I understood more of how, you know, the world works and I was able to get better jobs that could, uh, you know, help me make a little bit more money than if I hadn't. But also it gave me the chance to grow as a man. Like it gave mm-hmm. me the chance to make my mistakes in, you know, relative bubble and not fall too hard and come out here with the confidence in myself as a person to, uh, to, to make to make my way through this this uh, this this gauntlet, um, yeah. <laughs> LA can be a very vicious city when it comes to acting lifestyle. So you know, to come here with as solid of a foundation as you can possibly have, I highly recommend that to anybody trying to get in any of the entertainment industry because it it I it can it has the potential to eat your your spirit alive if you're not ready for it. So yeah. you know, kudos kudos to mom to kind of saying, hold on, wait a minute, you know, you're going to get there, but do this first, you know. And I, I remember even, you know, my mother used to tell me that because I come in and say, mom, I'm going to do this. And, okay, well, baby, well, go to school first and get that. So, um, you know, it's always nice to have, you know, somebody cheering you in the right, guiding you in the right direction. So. Once again, some kudos to mom. Now, I want to, before we go take this next commercial break, um, one of the projects that you are 
working on now is an upcoming sitcom called Table Manners, correct? Right. Yes, ma'am. And, and what – yes, ma'am. There he goes, that southern thing. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> um, w- briefly, what is that show about? Uh, so it's about four guys uh, who suffer from different uh, mental illnesses uh, who live in a group home. And our new therapist who comes in, uh, it's her new job, and she just doesn't really know what she's getting herself into. And uh, the show is basically about, you know, how she deals with us and also how we interact with each other um, in, in the house. Um, it's really, to me, and again, this is just my, when I first read the script, I was like, this is really a story of family and togetherness and people wanting to be loved for who they are and, no, you know, not judging. Um, so that's what really drew me to, to, uh, to the story. Yeah, family's not always blood sometimes, you know. Exactly. Um, true. So how did you get this part? Um, so my agency um, is friends with, with one of the producers, and they, they brought this script over, or they had the script that they were working on, and they were having, I don't say they were having trouble, but they wanted to bring in people that, uh, that they could trust with the material. Mm-hmm. So I read it, and I immediately connected with it, and I went in, uh, did my thing in the audition room, worked with the director in the in the audition room, and, had a great time, and, you know, they ended up offering me the role. Okay, cool, cool. We're going to take our second commercial break, and when we come back, I want to talk some more about Table Manners. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Today I am with actor Kevin O'Brien, the uh, South Carolina man who came all the way to Los Angeles to pursue a dream. And uh, before the commercial break, we are starting to talk about your work on the project Table Manners. Now, Kevin, some of my audience might not be familiar with the process of, you know, taping a sitcom to them actually getting the opportunity to see it on TV. Um, so can you share with us, like, what stage of the process Table Manners is at and when we might possibly or where we might possibly see it at in the future? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, so right now it's, it's what's called a pilot. Um, okay. So we shot it uh, actually independently, so it's not attached to any specific studio or network or anything like that. So um, right now we're in the editing process, um, getting the, the actual show, the pilot episode, done. And then after that, um, our producers and our writers and our, you know, our team will, will take it out and start pitching it to different networks. And hopefully, you know, a network will love it and, and buy it. And then once they buy it, then they'll have, I'm sure they'll have their notes and stuff like that. Um, maybe even uh, reshoot the pilot. And then um, if we're lucky enough, they'll, you know, buy it to or pick it up to series. And then you would see it on the show. So hopefully sometime early next year. Okay. Okay. We all we all got fingers crossed and prayers said. So, how long do you? How long have you guys spent at this time, taping all of the episodes, the pilot episodes? So we wrapped uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, so it took a full sort of table for about like two, about like two and a half full weeks, not including or including you know the table reads and the chemistry stuff and all and all the other things that go into it. Uh, we actually finished the episode with uh, in a five day shoot. Two and a half weeks. That's pretty quick. Now, um, let the audience know, when you are doing this process of submitting pilots to stations for consideration, how many of these shows, generally speaking, do you have to submit to somebody to consider? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I, I actually have no idea. To be okay. Yeah. So how many, how, many of you guys did you, how many shows did you guys end up taping? Just one. Just the one. Oh, oh uh, just yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah, okay. just the, yeah, just the pilot. Um, okay. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so it's a 30-minute pilot that you guys taped in two and a half weeks. Okay, so um, before this, you had done, uh, what is this, movies? You've done a lot of movie work, right, or TV? I, uh, I'd say probably a good a good mix of all, you know, commercials, television spots, and uh, little, little guest stars in, in, in films. Okay, what do you notice is the difference between working on a film versus, like, working on a TV sitcom? Um, I guess the, the speed of the production, um, because they know it in films, you have to, you know, there's a much more, there's much more text to, to shoot. Um, and then also a lot of times on television, you're under a, especially if it's a show that's already picked up and need episodes turned out. So it's a little bit faster paced. Um, mm-hmm. and then also, I guess the biggest thing is depending on how big your, your role is in the show. Um, you know, like if you're just a, you know, a co-star and you're coming in for one day, you just got to go in and knock that out. Whereas if you're a series regular, you do have some time to, you know, really get into the character and, and, and play once you're on set. Okay, okay, alrighty. And also, you are a consultant on a project, a documentary called The Hollywood uh, Blackout. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Oh, actually, yeah, I would love to, actually. my uh, <laughs> a, a, fr- a friend of mine is, uh, my friend Kevin Sampson, um, is uh, who we met, who I met at the University of South Carolina my freshman year. Um, he is a you know great director, great filmmaker, but he has been you know posing the question like why don't we have more diversity in film and television? Um, and he's been mulling that over for a while, and you know I I, I don't want to speak for him, but I know that he you know he has two young children and he doesn't necessarily want them to grow up in a world where they don't see themselves represented accurately on the screen because a lot of you know the entertainment and a lot of how we view ourselves and how we fit in society growing up comes from you know what we see in the media. So he wanted to create a documentary to explore, uh, explore why, and also try to find solutions for it. And so he's got a Kickstarter campaign right now um, uh, called For the Hollywood Blackout and uh, trying to raise money to get this documentary made. And I do think it's something that needs to be, needs to be discussed and needs to be explored because we do need more accurate representations of not just African Americans but all, all minorities, uh, on on the big and small screen. Okay. Now let me, uh, Kelvin, let me play devil's advocate for just a quick moment. There are going to be some people out there that will say, you know, come on, it's 2014. I see all types of people on the small and big screen. So what's all this fuss about diversity? I mean, what would you say to people like that? Mm, I would say really take a look at it. I mean, you know, there, it's definitely we've come a very long way in a, in a relatively short amount of time, but there's still so much more to do. And more specifically, uh, with African Americans, a lot of times you see us on the screen, but it's not necessarily an accurate representation of a of a, of a like a, like a Cosby Show, for instance, which was groundbreaking in itself. You know, where you see an African American family with a mom and dad in the household, uh, both college educated. Uh, the kids aren't in gangs, like a good representation of something that goes on. While we do have the other side, too, the, the, you know, the dark side, which is unfortunate, that's not, that's not, the, total black, that's not the total experience of African-Americans in this country, and we need to have more of that uh, on television um, and in, in film. Okay. Well, and then some people say, okay, that's why we have reality housewives of Atlanta and such. Yeah, no, 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 stop that right there. No, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me first say, you know, I have never seen those things. I, I, you know, my Facebook feed goes off when the shows are on, and I'm like, why are you people watching this stuff? This is not even healthy. But you know, um, it, it's it's where we're at as a society now, and it's. Um, 
you know, sometimes rather depressing. But, you know, like I said, you know, I come from the Cosby era, you know, and it was more of a positive message and um, for people of color to see, even though it wasn't the totality of the African-American experience, it, it was uplifting. But now um, it is real struggle to see some very positive shows, you know, that give us something good to look at about us, you know. Um, exactly. There's been a, there has been a great shift. And, um, you know, I'm assuming, well, you know, I know for a lot of the Spanish-speaking culture, you know, a lot of them have their a multitude of their own stations and they produce their own work, you know, which I'm pretty sure benefits uh, their, their perception of what they see for themselves. But uh, African-Americans, we are lacking in that area. So hopefully... Um, this Hollywood Blackout Project will address some of those issues. Now, you said he has a Kickstarter campaign, and um, do you know how much he's trying to? It's going to take for him to get this project rocking and rolling. I want to say, yeah, I should pull it right now because I don't want to misquote him on his on his okay. project. But I want to say it's thirty thirty thou. Okay. But let me, uh, yeah, let me pull that up. Okay, no problem. And so while but, you're playing, then you'll be able to tell me where they can go to um, get involved with the project, right? Yes, ma'am. I will. And of course, the computer is being slow. But no, but just furthering what we were talking about, like I do that, I really do believe that it is crucial uh, for young kids um, to see positive, represent, positive representations of themselves on the screen um, at an early age because it does deeply impact uh, our development. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you see so many kids at a young age doing things. I, I just I couldn't remember. I couldn't fathom doing when I was that their age. I, I didn't even think about those kinds of things. But, um, you know, kids today are doing some very adult behaviors that, you know, are you still looking it up? Yes, ma'am. So the Kickstarter uh, campaign, it, you can find uh, videos all over YouTube. Uh, okay. basically explaining it and the, the links to the Kickstarter campaign it would be too much for me to, to say but okay. it's, it's on the YouTube uh, on the YouTube channel yeah but when they go to kickstarter.com they can just type in his the Hollywood blackout okay okay and he needs um, and it says on there how much he's, he's trying to get so he can um, put this together yes ma'am so it's looking like he's got He's looking for 30 grand. I was right. I shouldn't have second-guessed myself. Why do I do that? There you go. There you go. Now, since you're in the industry and you know how this all works, there's a lot of laymen out here listening, and you say, I need $30,000 for a film. People are going, oh, my God, like, what What do you need $30,000 for? So can you break down, if you can, wh- why it takes uh, this kind of funding to produce a film? Well, to do something really, you know, so, so it looks good, just the very base, you want to get a really good camera, and cameras mm-hmm. aren't cheap uh, lenses, you, have, you know, you'd want to ideally pay your crew, um, you want to pay, you know, whatever people that you'd have come on, or, you know, maybe you have to travel uh, for different locations to uh, to get this again, like that, this is definitely not my area of expertise, but just okay. from what I've learned on the other side of the camera, um, it, it, there's so many other little things, you know, craft service, little, you know, you have snacks on set uh, while you're working, uh, meals, um, so it, it, that's actually a really, a really small number when it comes to making, making okay. film. Yeah. Yeah. Because you hear about these these movies and they say these like, you know, one point five million budget to whatever. And you're like, wow, really? You know, um, but then you've got salaries and all that stuff you have to play. And I think, you know, lay laymen people, you know, we just like, OK, we just go to the movie theater and pay our 
$212 for this ticket and (laughs) (laughs) you don't really, you know, know the whole details behind it, you know, so, um, and like I said, what you did mention, I mean, I know for a fact 30000 is a low-end number that is needed for a film. Um, but, uh, you know, there's been a lot of wonderful projects that have been put out with these low budgets that have really left a, a surprising, you know, like the underdog came out there from nowhere. And, you know, they've been very impressive to the masses. So hopefully this will be another one of those projects that, you know, kind of takes off and running when he gets it going. Now, you're a consultant for it. What exactly does that cause you to do? It, yeah, that, that sounds way more important than it actually is, to be honest. Uh, but no, he just, he just asked me from, you know, my perspective, working as uh, uh, an actor in the business and, and, you know, basically my experiences and stuff like that. Um, so any input I can, any insight I can offer from this side of the experience, especially, you know, again, going back to, you know, going from South Carolina, coming into it, not really having it in and fighting my way through and continuing to try, you know, break down barriers and, and all that stuff. So basically that's it. He'll call me every now and then and say, you know, what's, just give me some more. Give me some quotes. Or tell, me, tell me some specific examples of how you're dealing with it uh, in your day-to-day life. So that's basically what it is. Okay, okay. Now, you're in L.A. now, and, and that is the mecca for the entertainment industry, but uh, New York is also a kind of a big spot for that. Do you see yourself staying in L.A., or um, is some other place is an option for you, do you think? No, I think I'm pretty pretty much going to be here just because uh, film and television. I think um, actually I know I'm just I just love I love the medium so much, and uh, most of the casting decisions. Yeah, I'd say most of the casting decisions are made here, and then mm-hmm. you know whatever shows are shot in New York or Louisiana or wherever, uh, you know they'll they'll fly you there. Um, but if I if I were going to uh, pursue theater, I would absolutely move to to New York because that's you know that's where you got to be for 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 that stuff. But yeah, L A L A is where where I kind of need to be. Okay. Now, I do also want to mention, though, the South is getting a lot of um, attention from media companies that are, you know, moving there and stuff like that. So there are a lot of productions that are actually being produced in the South. I know, you know, my home state, North Carolina, uh, Winston-Salem, per se, we've got a lot of attention from uh, uh, Hollywood, per se, quote-unquote. So um, going back home to do some things is, is possibly an option or you're just dead fast I mean, and I, I don't fault you LA is a wonderful place so you're dead fast LA this is it for me this is where I'm going to well, be well I'm not, actually no I actually I'll go where the work is to be completely <laughs> honest with you but as a home base I think LA is the, the best place for me just because like I said most of the casting decisions decisions are, are made here so um, you know you're right because I don't know how far Winston-Salem is from Wilmington but I did some work in Wilmington North Carolina um, you know Atlanta's you know buzzing mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of stuff there's some stuff a lot of stuff going on in Louisiana but again most of this the bigger, like the leads in the shows and stuff like that, those casting decisions are generally made here um, rather than than there. So, um, yeah, and also like the weather. I live right by the beach, too, so I'm not, I don't really want to really leave. Right. It doesn't get better than shorts and flip-flops on Christmas Day. I mean, you know. Exactly. <laughs> All righty, dear. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day. We'll come back. Uh, we'll be talking. Uh, I got some stuff I want to talk about your website and uh, what you got on down the pipeline. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. I have been spending 
uh, my day with Mr. Kelvin O'Brien. Uh, you will see him shortly in the sitcom Table Manners, and he's also a consultant on the documentary The Hollywood Blackout. Um, now, Kelvin, when I have guests, the first thing I usually do, because you know, I'm kind of nosy, is I go to their website if they have one, and you do have one. Um, and the first thing that impressed me about your website, KelvinO'Brien.com, uh, the homepage, there's these pictures of you with these inspirational call to action, um, little placards, hope, listen, dream, love, create. And it gives the sense right before you start getting into the meat and bones of your website that you are in some sort of way um, tied to uplifting the human spirit um, and the condition. Is, is that a good perception or takeaway to get from Mr. Kelvin O'Brien? Absolutely, absolutely. That that's actually why I think I fell in love uh, with acting because I think for me that's what it is. That's what it's all about. Um, and as far as the website goes, like I, I like we were talking about before, the humility, the struggle between humility and ego. Um, I always struggle with like I don't I don't want to put a I don't need a website because I don't want you know I don't want to come up boastful or I don't want to put this all in people's face and especially as an actor because I know I've seen a lot of actor websites where it's really just all about them. Like it's just their work and it's just pictures of them and and i when i decided to make the website i wanted to do it for a better reason than me um and these are all things that in my website these are all things that i truly believe and i i want to ultimately you know my career goal is to just inspire as many people as i possibly can through uh the gift that that i you know that i have um and my website is just a, a, a nice home base on the internet to 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 be to to do that Okay. Okay. I mean, like I said, it just was a very visual, powerful kind of message just to be hit with right off the bat. And I mean, it was just like, you know, wow. Um, because like you're saying or, or like you're alluding to, when it comes to the acting, uh, the entertainment industry, sometimes you can get really full of your ego. So it creates a sense of a, this is a very humble, in tune individual when you see just the beginning of the website. And uh, I think that's very impressive. And then you can move on to, you know, you have a blog. And I took the time to read some of the words that you um, have written. And um, and like I said, it's, it's really concerning with the plight of the human condition. And you have um, one entry that you wrote, and I want you to share more about it, where you had an encounter with a homeless individual, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Can you share a little bit more about that? So when I were my last my previous apartment there was a guy who he was just always around and he was a really personable like really sweet kind-hearted uh older man uh but was homeless and every i would see him pretty much every day and we he would sit outside of the grocery store and i would you know i'd talk to him for a little bit and i'd go into this store and if i had some extra money you know i'd buy him like a loaf of bread and some, some turkey or something i'd buy him some, some groceries and but this continued 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 um until one day, I, for some reason, I was like, I, I just thought, am, is it, am I really helping? Because he's an able-bodied guy. I mean, he was very mm-hmm. smart. He's very bright. He's very capable of, of, of working and mm-hmm. to earn money to get his own food. Um, so I really struggle I, with how much am I actually helping him by giving him food. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, and I still, I actually still struggle with this today. And I think it's going to be a constant thing because when I see somebody who really is down on their luck for whatever reason, it's hard for me to not try to help if I can. But also mm-hmm. understanding that sometimes it's it's not necessarily in their best interest for me to give them something. Sure. So I, 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 yeah, I go, 
I could probably write another thing about that now because it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's such a hard thing for me to, to wrap my brain around. You know, are you um, – it's, it's a tricky tightrope to walk. Am I being an enabler or am I really helping this person lift themselves up? And, right. you know, I tell people all the time, I don't mind giving all that I have to help somebody who's trying to help themselves. But then it becomes on the flip side, like when do I cut it off? Okay, you show me you're you're still in the same rut, but is that really your fault? I mean, you know, like with homeless with homeless people, you know, sometimes the stories behind it are so vast, and you know, there could be conditions why this person is stuck in this situation. And then I I'm prejudging, like, okay, I see you here every day. I'm keep on giving you this money, you know, or this food or whatever. Um, okay, I'm getting sick and tired of it. But hold on a minute, you know, this person could say, wait a minute, let me tell you my story, and then. Right. Oh, okay. Now I see. And, and it, it's so tricky. It's, it's such, like I said, it's such a tightrope to walk. Like, okay, you know, a, am I doing the right thing? And, and, you know, like you're alluding to, I mean, that's kind of like where you at. Is this really the right thing to do? Um, you know, cause you, you, when you have a kind heart, a giving heart, you know, a person who is concerned with, you know, the human spirit, it, it, it just, it pulls at your heartstrings. So yeah. what, what ultimately came of that, that situation? Do you still interact with him or no? Actually, you know, since I moved, I, I, I'm over there a couple more times. So I've seen him a couple times. It, it was funny. I actually saw him once crossing the street, and he said, he was joking, but he said, I would love to take you to lunch one day. And Aww. I said, you know what? You know what? I'm all for it. I'll, you know, whenever you're ready, we'll make we'll make that happen. So, I mean, it's good. I, I know that he appreciated everything that I was doing, um, which makes me feel really good. And, you know, when I see him today, he's still, you know, he's still just as happy and go lucky as he as he always was. Okay, okay. And then also um, in that blog post, you mentioned, I guess, what spawned it all, the thought process of this interaction that you're having with this, this homeless gentleman in your neighborhood. Um, you had read that in South Carolina they had passed some legislation in regards to homeless people. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. I, I, I read, it was disturbing to me. Um, and I, I'm forgetting the specifics off the top of my head, but basically mm-hmm. it was, uh, these are still people too. To me, yeah. and that's what you know. That's what, ultimately what it comes down to is the humanity of it all, and not treating people who may. Because you're right, everybody has a different story, and we're all one paycheck missing, one paycheck away, one or two paychecks from being homeless. Like that could very easily be us if we didn't. You know, we're lucky enough to have the family support and all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, marrying that with the reality of you know uh, an able-bodied person who's able to work, trying to help them develop the skills so they can fend for themselves. That's right. And I think, you know, more of the mentality that to to further emphasize the mentality that we're talking about here, there's a closing uh, in the closing paragraph of one of your blog posts. It reads, you know, I am Kelvin O'Brien. I'm an actor. I love each and every person on this planet. I hope to spend the rest of the time I have on this earth learning from the experiences of others and hopefully inspiring a few people along the way. And I guess, you know, that is the message that we as human beings need to take away, you know, uh, with us every day on our journey is, you know, we're kind of all in this together. We're supposed to love each other and we're supposed to spend time kind of just learning each other instead of judging or assuming stuff about each other and hopefully trying to make each other better better people along the way. And I I mean, that was like the most awesome closing line in that blog blog post right there. I think that was cool. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that, because I think that's at the end of the one I wrote about humility and ego. Yes. And also while trying to, to, you know, uplift and inspire people, also celebrate who you are as an individual and don't be afraid 
to be who you are and to shine because I spent so much time afraid of fully sharing who I was for a, a multitude of reasons. Um, but it wasn't serving me or wasn't serving anybody else. So my ultimate goal of inspiring people, I realized I couldn't do unless I really believed and shared who I was. So that's why, you know, I said, this is who I am, Kelvin O'Brien. I'm an actor. I love, like, this is is what I am, and this is what I'm going to try to spend the rest of my time on this earth trying to do. And I think, you know, you have to to celebrate who you you are uh, before you can help somebody, somebody else. True. I mean, and unfortunately, it just takes us so much time to come into our own so that we can, in turn, give our gifts back back to others. But, you know, um, there are some of us that are a little smarter and quicker with it than others. You know, we, we learn the lesson faster. Um, so it, it's wonderful that you have earlier on in the game realized that, you know, this is this is what I am supposed to be doing. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, so before we get out of here. What can we expect to see from Mr. Kelvin O'Brien in the future? You got any upcoming projects or something that you're working on that we should know about? Well, the table banners is the biggest thing uh, right now, and um, so honestly, I've got you know I've got some stuff uh, in the air, you know, having good reads, and that's that's the that's the most uh, I say one of the most rewarding things about it, but also one of the most nerve wracking in this business. You, know, <laughs> you really you really never know. Um, you know, you could wake up tomorrow and get the call that you know you you know you got this huge movie, or you may not work for six seven months. So, so you just never know. But it's exciting to know that, you know, especially coming off Table Manners, I've got a little bit more of a, you know, a buzz. And, and I'm doing really good work. I feel comfortable where I am right now artistically and, and, uh, and telling stories. So, you know, you, you, you never know. You, you never know. All righty. Well, congratulations on all the progress thus far, and I'm pretty sure there's so much more to come. Uh, like I said, you already came to the table. You know, you came to L.A. already, you know, bouncing with opportunity, so it can only go greater and higher from there. So kudos on that. Um, I've mentioned the website, KelvinO'Brien.com. Is there um, social media sites that people can? Absolutely. And I, I try to keep that simple as possible, just Kelvin O'Brien. Uh, my Facebook fan page is, I think it's Facebook backslash Kelvin O'Brien. No spaces, no apostrophe. Uh, same thing with Twitter is at Kelvin O'Brien. Um, and Instagram is also at Kelvin O'Brien. I like to keep things. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice and simple. Food. They can find nice you, right? Yep. Okay. Well, my guest today has been Mr. Wonderful Kelvin O'Brien. Please visit his website, KelvinO'Brien.com. That's K E L V I N O B. R-Y-A-N-T dot com. And uh, Mr. Kelvin, I've had a wonderful time chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. Before we get out of here, I just want to say I, I saw your website and I you know, admire everything you're doing too. So keep doing what you're doing. And again, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really oh. enjoyed it. Thank you, thank you. Kindred spirits there. Thank you, thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember, when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I will see you all next week. <laughs>